Good morning, Forest Park. Great to see you guys today. We are in a series called Red Flag Relationships. If you are just joining us, this is part three. So I encourage you, if you have not heard parts one and two, go to YouTube, our YouTube channel, check them out. They're there for free. I will catch you up just for a few minutes at the beginning of today's message to get everybody up to speed, just in case you have not been with us and you're like, what is he talking about? What does all this mean? Whenever we say red flag relationships, what are we talking about? Well, red flags serve as warnings. They signal something is wrong or potentially could go wrong. You red flag something to provide caution. You want to call attention to an action or a change or behavior that is considered dangerous, worrisome, hazardous. And it's the same with relational flags. There are some flags in a relationship if they come up, some issues that you can work through. I call those like yellow flags, okay? They're, they're caution, but they don't rise to the level of a red flag. You can work through those. But there are some other flags. If you ignore them, you are relationing at your own risk. And when we look back at relationships that ended ugly, and I'm sure if we went around this room this morning and we said, hey, you know, you got a, got a relationship in your life that ended really sour, Maybe it was a friend, maybe it was an employer, maybe it was a colleague, a business partner, uh, you know, an ex-spouse, whatever it is, and it just ended really bad. I mean, you look back at it, it was filled with so much pain, so much hurt. If you're honest and, and evaluate it as objectively as possible, I can almost guarantee you there were red flags within that relationship. There were behaviors, there were actions, there were things going on. If you would have paid attention to them, if you would have inventoried them, you would have said, you know what, that's a red flag, that's a red flag, that's a red flag. But either at that time you didn't know what to call them, so you just somewhat, you know, ignored them, or you were benefiting from the relationship so much that you thought, well, you know what, that's the, the trade-off is worth it. I see this often in premarital counseling or if I'm talking to a couple who's dating and they're going through some issues and you're like, okay, well, here's a problem. Here's a problem. Here's a problem. Here's an issue. Here's an issue. Well, you know what? You know, I love him. I love her. We'll deal with that later. We'll, we'll deal with that after we get married. And a lot of times it comes back up in the marriage. And when it does, now they're already, you know, together. They're married. They've got a house together. Their finances are blended together. And it really becomes a problem. So here's what this entire series is about. Can you imagine if we could learn to notice red flags and respond appropriately to those red flags. Break off the relationship, unhitch ourselves from the partnership, move on to other friends. What if we could do that before the pain, before the bankruptcy, before the divorce? That'd be great. And that's what the idea of the series is, is to help us recognize some red flags so that we respond before we get in too deeply, if you will. Now, if you've been with us, you know that I've commented on this each week. I'm going to do it again today and again next Sunday when we wrap this up. When it comes to relationships, recognizing and responding to the red flags is especially challenging. It's especially challenging because of one word, one idea, investment. Many of us invest so much time with this person, so much of our energy, so much of our emotion. We get tangled up within this person's life, and then we see the red flags and we say, but I've put so much time in this, I've invested so much, I can't walk away now, I can't leave now. So we keep trying. We learn to cope with the problems, and we just hope, as I said a minute ago, we just hope that it'll get better with time. Typically, it doesn't get better with time. We just learn how to cope, all right? It isn't fixed. We just use a little duct tape. 
it isn't fixed, we just kind of hold it together and go, oh, I sure hope that works. I sure hope it holds on. So we keep trying. Now, this series is not all about romantic relationships. I've used dating and I've used marriage, but really it's about any and all relationships. It doesn't matter at what level. If you're married, divorced, single, dating, friends with a person, you and your wife, you and your husband are friends with a couple, maybe it's two colleagues or more, employer, employee, it doesn't really matter. These four flags that we're dealing with, all right, and these are not exhaustive, there are many other flags, but these are four big ones. These four flags are warning signs, and they can be part of any relationship. And if they are, if you see these behaviors, if you see these actions in a relationship at any level, take warning, here's the deal. If you don't deal with these, they will deal with you. They will come back and bite you eventually. So be very careful of attention. Now, I want us to look at two passages. I should have mentioned this last week and the week before because these are such good passages that kind of set up what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Two passages. One comes from Proverbs 6. One comes from 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the one from Proverbs 6. Verse 27. Can a man scoop fire into his lap and his clothes not get burned? If a man walks on hot coals, don't his feet get burned? This is just wisdom. It's basically saying, look, you're not going to be able to bring fire close to you and not get hurt. You can't walk on top of hot coals and expect that you're just going to walk away and you're not going to be burned. So basically, if you bring someone, some behavior, some things close to you, and these things have the potential to hurt you, don't be surprised when they hurt you. If you hook up to the, with the wrong person, if you marry the wrong person, if you sign on the dotted line and get into a business partnership with the wrong person, if you get involved with someone who's dishonest, if you get involved with someone who lies, if you get involved with someone who, who cheats, if you get involved with this or that, don't suspect, don't think that somehow you're going to get through it without some hurt, without some pain. You can't do it. 1 Corinthians 15 is basically saying the exact same thing. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. So you might have good character, but if you align yourself with some people who do not have good character and you hook yourself too tightly with this person, over time, you're going to get pulled in the wrong direction. Their bad character will corrupt your good character. Now, I'm not here trying to say you're good and they're all bad. I'm just simply saying be careful when you align yourself and get involved in a partnership or an agreement with people who eventually can, can really hurt you if you're not careful. All right, we, we're kind of counting down, if you will. Number four, number three, number two, number one, giving you four red flags. The first week, if you were here, we gave you a flag number four, and that is they emotionally use you. Emotionally unhealthy people. Be careful with emotionally unhealthy people. We defined it and we talked through it. It was so helpful. I had some great conversations following that message. Last week, if you were with us, you remember we gave you flag number three, and that is they attempt to control you. Lots of good, helpful truth, and we looked at a familiar passage in the Sermon on the Mount, and we opened it up in an entirely new way and had some people walk out with a whole different view of a particular passage in the Sermon on the Mount that I hope was helpful. And then today I'm going to give you flag number two. Here's the one we're going to talk about in detail today is they refuse to resolve conflict with you. Folks, I do not enjoy conflict, all right? I, I like debate. I'm kind of wired to debate. I have a lot of opinions. I like passionate disagreement. I enjoy stating my opinion, and I'm fine if someone disagrees. I will do my best to convince the person I'm right. But in the end, whether I'm right or wrong, whether you agree with me or not, hey, I want to remain friends. 
I don't like ongoing, unresolved conflict. I don't enjoy the tension, stress, or awkwardness of it. Nothing about it appeals to me. And I doubt it appeals to you either. And unresolved conflict, it just, it goes against the grain of how we are wired as humans. We are fashioned and designed to get along with each other. We are social creatures. We are designed in the image and likeness of God, where there is camaraderie and socialization and, and unity and diversity and the beauty of fellowship and servanthood and submission and all the different things. We are wired that way. Competition? Yes, that's good. Disagreement, yes. In fact, it's, it's often helpful. Unresolved conflict, no. Unhealed relational wounds, no. And I've had my fair share, all right? Just to give you a little, little background here. You know, being a pastor of a church in a small town for more than 20 years afforded me plenty of opportunities to experience unresolved conflict. People have begun attending Forest Park in years past and got involved and showed excitement. And then, you know, they'd be disappointed about this or disappointed about that or something over here or something over there. They become upset. They leave, never resolve the tension. I've seen it over and over again, not just with me. I'm talking about with other people too. No conversation, no explanation, no attempt to resolve and repair. They just leave the relationship, just boom, gone. They didn't break a law. They didn't, you know, they don't, they don't have to resolve the conflict if they don't want to. It, is, it doesn't have anything to do with God's grace in their life or their importance in the body of Christ. But I have learned over time, it is unhealthy to just walk away from relationships without resolving the conflict that caused the relationship to separate. It's unhealthy for them, and it's also unhealthy for the people they leave. And part of the responsibility as a member of the body of Christ is to resolve and repair relationships to the best of our ability, to bring healing and hope and renewal. Part of what it means to be an adult in the body of Christ or to be a mature person in the body of Christ is to say, you know what, it's not all about me. It's not all about my comfort, my peace, my joy. I have a responsibility to other people. But the body of Christ, at least in our area, is a long way from that level of maturity. There remains so much infighting, disagreements, hurt feelings, unresolved tension. And so many people are absolutely fine to just walk away from people, from relationships, from friendships. And it's almost like, oh, well, it's just the way life is. And that's not true just in churches. It's true in marriages, I've seen it. It's true in friendships. It's true in jobs. And I'm confident many of you, if not all of you, have at least one unresolved conflict in your past. It's one unresolved conflict floating around out there somewhere with your ex or a former employer or a used-to-be best friend. And it's not fun. I mean, it feels weird. It feels unfinished, sad, disappointing, even frustrating. Especially if you've tried to resolve the conflict. If you've gone above and beyond and you've attempted to send the email, send the text, make the phone call, try to schedule a time to meet or something, and people don't want to do that, your best friend or a former, you know, a colleague or whatever, that's hard. They don't want to resolve it. You want to resolve it. They don't want to repair it. You want to repair it. And I've learned that there are hundreds, literally hundreds of unrepaired relationships everywhere in small towns and businesses and churches and in families. And if you know exactly what I'm talking about, that uh, there is just that one person, you know, for whatever reason, you never could fix the problem with him. 
and that person's coming to your mind right now. You, you, you tried. There's that, there's that one reason, and you're not, you're not sure what it is, but there's, there's for whatever reason, it's, it's there. That, that one girl, you did your best, but you never could resolve it with her. You never could repair the breach with them. And it is so awkward if you see them. And a small town makes it especially challenging. If we lived in a mass, you know, city, everybody just kind of disappear into the crowd and you really wouldn't see them. But when you live in a small town, you see them when you're shopping, you see them when you're out eating, you see them on Facebook, you know, you see them on social media. And it's just, it's just awkward. I mean, nobody wants to see people with whom they've had conflict and it's been hard to resolve it and piece it back together. I don't, I'm fine with not seeing the person again. Now, before you draw too many conclusions, it's not because I don't love them, I do. Not, not because I don't want to resolve the conflict, I do. Not, not because I'm better than them, I'm not. But because it's strange, it's just, it's an unsettling feeling and I hate conflict. And those of you who are in a relationship with someone, whether that person is a spouse, a parent, a kid, an employer, a so-called friend, a partner, it doesn't matter. If you are in a relationship with someone who avoids conflict resolution, they just won't go there. They just don't want to deal with it. They just, and they refuse to resolve it. They refuse to repair the relationship. Know this. Take it from somebody who's lived it and learned a lot from it. That is a huge red flag. If someone avoids resolution, if they avoid repair, if they avoid resolving the pain and the hurt, that is a huge red flag. Because at some point in every relationship, there will be disagreements. There will be arguments. There will be hurt feelings. There will be broken promises. Something. It's inevitable. There is no way two or more people can come together in a close relationship and not experience friction at some level. It's going to happen. And if the person you are with at any level isn't willing to deal with the conflict, admit the damage, ask for forgiveness, extend forgiveness, compromise, show patience, understanding, work to resolve the conflict, repair the relationship. Again, it says more about them than it does about you. And it should raise a red flag. If this person is your parent or your child or your spouse, someone you're related to or someone you're married to, it's even more complicated. And we don't have time to get into all of that in one message. But if the person is a boyfriend a girlfriend, a potential partner, a friend. There's no contracts, no blood relationship here. I'm just, I'm giving you a warning. You don't have to listen. You don't have to take it. Just consider unhitching yourself and moving on. Because if this person doesn't change, if this person will not sit down and resolve conflict, you are going to feel frustrated and hurt and disappointed and you're going to experience unresolved tension for the rest of your life. And this is what I don't get. I'm going to be as honest with you and as transparent as possible. Conflict is so unpleasant. Conflict is so painful. It is so frustrating. You would think every person wants the same thing, resolve and repair. It's so rough. It's so difficult. It's so awkward. You would think everybody would say, hey, let's just sit down and work through our problems. You would think every person would want to restore peace and balance to the relationship. You would think every person wants to figure out how can we walk arm in arm? We might not see eye to eye, but how can we walk arm in arm? How can we still move forward in this friendship? 
And this is what I've learned. Not everybody's like that. Here's something I am learning. I'm continuing to learn. Other people had to teach this to me because, one, I'm not that smart. Two, it's so foreign to me. I just, I don't think I could have ever thought of this unless someone else pointed it out. And here it is. Some people do not want to resolve conflict in a relationship. And you say, why would some people not want to resolve conflict? Because they benefit by the conflict. They benefit by the conflict. The tension within the relationship benefits them some way. They like what they are receiving by maintaining the tension in the relationship. Somehow, some way, their needs are being better met by unresolved conflict than having the conflict resolved and the relationship repaired. Because of the conflict, they feel important and significant. Because of the conflict, they feel superior to the people they're in conflict with. Because of the conflict, they gather attention from those who are on their side. Because of the conflict, they are seen as good and the other side is seen as evil or not as good. Because of the conflict, they feel chosen. Like I'm chosen by God, you know, and you're on the other side. Because of the conflict, they're in control. Because of the conflict, they find their identity in the conflict. You see, if they resolve the conflict, the drama of their life is gone. If they resolve the conflict, they don't have so much to talk about and chatter about and gossip about on Facebook and social media. If the conflict is gone, they actually have got to meet with you, eat with you, talk with you. But that's not fun. That's not the tension is what they like. They like the, the push. They like the friction. They like knowing that they're on one side and you're on the other side. Resolving the conflict takes so much of the drama out of their lives. And some people just like drama. Think about it. If the conflict gets resolved and the relationship repaired, they stand to lose a lot. And they cannot allow that to happen. So they do whatever is necessary to keep the conflict going. And the only way to keep conflict going is to refuse to do what is necessary to resolve the conflict. Now, that's a little abstract. It's a little bit up there. And so before we get to, well, what do I do, Scott? Let's talk about what this might look like in a relationship close to you, okay? Here's some concrete examples. If you have a spouse or a best friend who refuses to resolve conflict, they're never going to say, I refuse to resolve conflict. That's way too direct. So you're thinking, well, how do I know if they're resolving, they're refusing to resolve conflict? Here, here's some of the behaviors that you'll see, something like this. This is the stuff that you'll see kind of manifested in the relationship. They will engage in recurring arguments with you and never conclude the arguments. It just hangs there. It just never seems to ever come to a point where a decision's made, a restitution is made, I'm wrong, you're right, or I'm wrong and you're right, whatever. It just never seems to come to, it just hangs there. They walk away while you're talking and explaining. They don't want to hear anymore. They're done. They refuse to discuss certain issues. There are certain things that are just off limits. Although you clearly explain how important this topic is in your marriage or how meaningful this is to you in this relationship, whatever, they do not want to engage. They're not going there. Um, they refuse to acknowledge your concerns. They will say you're overreacting. They'll say you're too sensitive. They'll say you're making more of this than it needs to be. I'm done. 
They're dismissive, dismissive of your feelings, dismissive of your wants, dismissive of your, they don't want to deal with it. They want to get out as quickly as they can. As a result, the conflict, the argument never resolved. It just hangs there. Now, one you can kind of deal with. A couple, it's getting a little tough. But you add three, four, five, and more unresolved conflicts in that relationship, and you just slowly start drifting and drifting and drifting apart, and there's pain and there's hurt there. Unanswered questions, unsettled tension. And here's the big one. They want to just move on. Almost like it's not a big deal. Nothing really happened. You know, uh, I got to move on with life. I got to move on with my day. It just makes you feel overall that you are the problem. If you were more like me, we wouldn't have a problem. But we got a problem because you make a big deal of it. That's a person who just never wants to have genuine, authentic communication and resolve tension. Now, let's get very, very practical. Two situations, okay, I think this will cover most all of us, all right? Situation number one is the person who avoids conflict, yet you remain in the relationship with them, okay? That's your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, an employee, best friend. You've got these unresolved conflicts, and you're still in a relationship with this person. What do you do? How do you go about helping to resolve this tension and bring it back to a place where there's more health? Number one, be open and honest. I mean, if possible, sit down with the person and express your concerns. Be as honest as you possibly can. Tell them how you feel. Get, get, get completely vulnerable with them and say, look, here's what I think. Here's what I'm, what I'm feeling. Here's what's going on. And here's what I want to see happen next. Basically, it would sound something like this. Johnny, we need to resolve our conflicts. Now, you say it in your own words. You know, we don't seem to ever talk all the way through what's going on. You, you say a few things, I say a few things, then we go our separate ways, no resolution. Now, you might not need anything extra in this relationship, but I do. And here's what I want to see happen. I want us to come to some decisions rather than just yelling at one another. I want us to agree on some solutions rather than just going our separate ways when the tension gets too high. Now, the other person may or may not respond to your openness and honesty, but you tried. You gave the person an opportunity, and that's important. Number two, don't force what they don't want. When you're finished with being open and honest, he or she may respond positively, wonderful, if they do, awesome. Move forward together. If they don't respond the way you hope they would, don't attempt to force this is not about forcing someone. This is not about pouting. This is not about retaliation. This is not about vengeance. If you force him or try to force her, it's going to backfire. I guarantee you, anyone forced to do what they don't want to do, they're not really doing it anyway. So don't try to force. Number three, be patient. Your patience, your self-control, your ability to maintain your attitude speaks to the person in ways words never can. If you've been with us over the last little while, we've talked about the power of the fruit of the Spirit. Say, what's the fruit of the Spirit? In Galatians 5, where Paul talks about love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance, self-control. These are the fruit. I'm telling you, the fruit, the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives will speak volumes to people. Let your love be seen. Let your patience be seen. Let your long-suffering be seen. 
Show your spouse, your friend, your son, your daughter, what peace looks like, what serenity looks like. Be patient. Don't stir up more conflict arguing with them about resolving conflict, okay? So let patience be seen, all right? Now, here's the second situation I want to deal with. And this one gets a little, little bit more tricky. Is the person, you're, the person who avoids conflict resolution, but you're not in a relationship with them, okay? This is somebody who you were in a relationship with, and for whatever reason, it fell apart. They left, they quit, they moved on. Someone who quit the relationship because of the conflict, someone who possibly ghosted you. You've heard that phrase before where someone just kind of walks out of your life. When we turn your emails, don't respond to social media, maybe they unfriend you on social media. They won't sit down. They don't want to talk about it anymore. They're done. They've moved on and you're still hurting. You're still thinking, what in the world? We were friends. We had a relationship and you just moved on. You just walked away. And somehow they're benefiting from the conflict that's still going on. You're not. You're hurting. But somehow they're getting some benefit by saying, well, she's this way or he's that way or I heard he said this or I heard she said that. And you want to go, well, can't we talk about it? Can't we resolve this? Can't we work through this? And they're like, no, nope, I don't want to deal with it anymore. And they won't even talk to you about it. That's the kind of person I'm talking about, okay? What do you do then? Because that's thorny. That's hard. What do you do? First, you go above and beyond. I want to show you a passage of scripture that is so insightful. In fact, this message is really just the outworking of this one verse, okay? This one verse. And it comes from Romans chapter 12. And Paul is speaking to Christians who are having some issues with people. They've got some relationships that are strained. They've got some problems within the church. They've got some problems within the inner relational workings. And this is what he says in Romans 12, 18. If, what's that word? Possible. If possible. To the best of your ability. I mean, look at the quali how he's qualifying this. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. So go above and beyond. Let me show you what that looks like practically, okay? When you speak with other people about this person, Whoever this person is who walked out, whoever this person is that hurt you, whoever this person is that doesn't want to deal with the relational tension, when you speak with other people about this person, speak as positively as possible. Don't lie. Don't, don't make them better than they are, but don't smear them either. Don't run them down. Don't tell everybody what happened. You don't always get to tell your side of the story to every single person. In fact, your side of the story doesn't need to be known by every single person, okay? Now, listen, when I say that, I don't mean to imply that there isn't someone you tell your story to. I'm not saying that you don't have a friend who is a real true friend and you, confide in, you can't confide in them. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you don't sit down with your spouse and talk about the pain. I don't mean that you don't sit down with a counselor and work through your side of the story and the details of what actually happened. But I'm saying don't take advantage of trying to get your story out to all the people who believe the other side and all that. It's just not worth it. Go above and beyond. If possible, live at peace with all people. 
And folks, this is coming from experience. I've had people walk away from me, my family, leave Forest Park, and they've got stories. They have drama. They have their version of events. And I have my version of events. And everybody doesn't need to know all the details. Human drama sometimes gets ugly. We're all imperfect. That happens. It happens in marriages. It happens in friendships. The relationship should be more important than who is right and who is wrong and assigning blame. But I have learned not everyone holds relationships sacred. Many people hold their version of events sacred. They hold their emotions and feelings sacred. They hold their pride about being right as sacred. Well, the relationship ought to trump all those individual feelings and emotions and who gets the trophy for being right and who, who loses the trophy for being wrong. So what do you do? Whatever you can do to live at peace. Be kind to the person. Be kind about the person. And let the anger, let the hurt, let the pain, let the disappointment, let the confusion melt into God and his truth. Let me show you the other verse that's connected to this. Romans 12, 18. This is Romans 12, 19, the very next verse. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves. Dear friends. I love how he says that. It's, it, Paul is being so gentle. He's saying, listen, I know you want to get revenge. I, I know you want to seek out revenge, but don't try to get revenge. My dear friends, it's such, it's so tender. He's saying, I know you're hurting. I know you're frustrated. I know you're angry, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, revenge belongs to me. I will pay it back, says the Lord. Now, before you get too excited, making a list of all the people God will now take revenge on. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to treat you God good, but God, he's going to burn you, okay? That's not what this verse is really saying, all right? And you're like, oh, man, I had my, I had my ammunition, all right? This verse, is, the point of this verse is to not be excited, okay, for God to judge people. The point of this verse is quit trying to be the one who exacts revenge, Okay, don't think of yourself as I need to go get vengeance. I need to seek revenge. I need to prove my point. I need to justify my actions. I need to tell my story. Hey, leave room for God. Leave room for God. Sometimes you simply let go. Sometimes you just trust that eventually, eventually truth will come to light. So just let it go. Let it go. Number two, and this is a big one, create your own closure. Create your own closure. Relationship closure is when a relationship ends and both parties involved have accepted the relationship, has ended, and there's a sense of resolution and maybe even peace about it. You've accepted it, your partnership broke apart, but there's peace, there's resolution, and you've, there's closure. The door has closed and you're okay with it and you move on. Some people deny you closure. They just quit. No explanation, no resolution. They just walk out. They make accusations and walk out. And depending on how long the relationship lasted, how intimate the relationship was, non-closure can be really difficult, even emotionally painful. Trust me. So here's some wisdom if you happen to be in a situation where someone has walked off and there's no closure for you, 
okay? First is don't be held hostage, all right? Don't allow someone else's choice to ghost you, to leave you without a respectful explanation, to walk away from you, walk away from your history, walk away from commitments, walk away from everything. Don't allow their choices. And they have a right to choose to walk away if they want to, okay? Don't allow their choices to hold you back. You just have to say, you know what? That's what they want to do. That's what they want to do. You have to form your own closure and move on, okay? Here's another one. Drop the rock. Back to this vengeance-seeking. When Jesus confronted the Pharisees who wanted to kill the woman caught in the act of adultery, what did they pick up? They picked up rocks. And they were going to judge her for being guilty. They were going to judge her according to the law. And Jesus cuts them all to the heart when he makes this famous statement. He who has no sin casts the first stone. And it says, one by one, they dropped their rocks and walked away. Here's the truth. Even if someone is guilty of avoiding conflict, or I should say avoiding resolution, conflict resolution, even if someone is refusing to resolve the tension and they've ghosted you and you're like, that person is wrong. You are not without sin. I promise you somebody out there looks at you and thinks you should do more in a relationship. I promise you somebody out there is thinking some of your attitudes or your character. I'm, I would imagine some of the people closest to you, your wife, your husband, your kids, probably know some of your sins. So before you pick a rock up and drop it on the head of somebody who's hurt you, just ask yourself this question. Am I free from all sin? Do I have the right to judge this person and, make, and, and, and apply guilt to them and say they deserve God's wrath? They deserve my wrath? Am I that clean? Am I that holy? And if the answer is yes, throw the rock. But I doubt seriously anybody will be able to say you're that clean. So just drop the rock. Let it go. Don't seek revenge. And the third one on that is it isn't about you. This is one of the most difficult lessons to learn about red flag behavior, especially this one. The way a person treats you isn't about you. The way the person refuses to address the conflict isn't about you. The way the person ghosts you isn't about you. It's about them. Remember, people who do not work to resolve conflict are somehow benefiting by the conflict. That's on them. That's on them. If they really wanted to resolve the conflict, they would. They would sit down with you. They would work through a resolution. They would accept your forgiveness. They would ask you to forgive them. They would work through it. They'd find a win-win solution. The fact that it isn't resolved is because they don't want to resolve it. That's on them, not you. And the last big point I'm going to give you, one, the first one I gave you is the go above and beyond. Number two is find your own closure, create your own closure. And then the last one is leave the porch light on. My grandmother used to say this when I was a little kid. You know, so we'd have guests coming over to the house. You know, people used to come over and visit, you know. And uh, guests would drop by or people from the church or whatever. And if she thought they were coming or they might come, she would say something like, leave the porch light on. 
which means make sure that they know they're welcome to come up to the door, that they can see getting up the steps. It's a welcome sign. Don't turn the porch light off. Turn the porch light on. That's a way of saying, let them know they're always welcome to return. Don't turn the lights off. Folks, look, listen, you don't know what's going on in another person's life. You don't really know their pain. You think you do, but you don't. You don't know their wounds. Remember, it's not about you. It's about them. So give them time to work out their mess. It's possible once they've healed, once they arrive at a better place in their life, it is possible that they'll go through their own journey and maybe they'll hear a message like this or they'll read a book or they'll see a scripture or in their prayer time or maybe somebody will confront them and they'll think, you know what, I never did work that relationship out. I never did deal with that. I I need to go back and, and maybe, just maybe when they work through their mess, they'll come back up to your front door. Leave the porch light on. Don't burn all the bridges. Don't, don't say, hey, you know what? I don't ever want this person to come back in my life again. Don't, don't do that. Now, listen, every time I preach something like this, somebody comes up and goes, well, what about this? And what about that? That's okay to ask those questions, but I'll just I'll save you some time. I'm not talking about abusive situations. I'm not talking about molestation or people stealing from you and hurting you and, you know, physically abusing you. And I say, well, just let them back in your life. That, that's, that's a whole different, I'm talking about the typical tension, resolutions, arguments, hurt feelings that go on within friendships and marriages. I'm talking about the, the within normal behavior and conflict. Leave the porch light on. You know, One other lesson that is really challenging for me that I've had to learn over these last few years is not everybody, not everyone is intended to be part of my life forever. And I'm not intended to be part of everyone else's life forever. There are seasons. And part of growing is growing apart. Sometimes a person grows beyond you. Sometimes you grow beyond that person. And that's okay. When it comes to relationships, our goal isn't proximity. Proximity is closeness, like in location. The person sitting beside me, the person in my community group, the person in my church, the person living close to me, going out to lunch with them. Hey, you know what? The goal in relationships isn't proximity, it's peace. Again, Paul, last time I'm going to mention this, we're going to pray. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. It doesn't say live in the same neighborhood, even attend the same local congregation, eat with them every week. You know what? Sometimes that might not happen. But you can be at peace even if you're not in proximity. That's big because we carry guilt thinking I got to have everybody in my life all the time. That's not true. You might actually grow beyond somebody. Somebody might grow beyond you. It's not about proximity. It's about peace. So go above and beyond. Create your own closure. Leave the porch light on. Let's pray. Father, relationships are so complicated. We have our own selfish desires, and they have their own selfish desires. 
We have goals in life, they have goals in life. We have values, they have values. And sometimes our lives align and we're together, but then sometimes our lives misalign and there's conflict and arguments and hurt feelings. We're sinful at times. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. We hurt one another's feelings. We say and do and, 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 and create tension within relationships. We are broken in many ways. We're flawed in many ways. We're imperfect in many ways. We're sinful in many ways. And we need wisdom and truth and life and hope to mend relationships and bring people back together. And Father, it's in the forgiving of one another we find your presence. It's in the serving of one another we find your presence. It's in the giving up of our rights and letting somebody else sometimes win we find your presence. It's, it's in the letting go of our side of the story so the other person can come out on top. It's in that where your presence is seen and felt. Father, teach us how to resolve conflict, to love one another in spite of our differences, to love one another no matter how sometimes we see things differently, vote differently, believe some things differently. Teach us what it means to be a body of Christ where we are diverse, but we're still unified. Where we see things and feel things differently, but we still love and serve and care. And Father, if there's a person in this room right now, someone watching and they have this relationship that they are the one who's never tried to resolve it. They've never sat down and worked their way through the difficult parts of it. That maybe they're the ones who's ghosted somebody else walked away. Father, would you inspire them? Would you inspire them to pick the phone up, to send a text, an email, a schedule a lunch or a coffee? Father, would you help bring healing to this body, to our families and marriages and friends? Would you teach us what it means to live out the love of Christ every day? We thank you for challenging us. We thank you for teaching us. The truth will set us free. May we walk it out every day. In the name that is above every name, the name that makes all of the truth possible, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.